call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 63 of Call It Friend of the podcast, where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Donica Tiernan watched a newer release, Adam McKay's 2021 Netflix joint, Don't Look Up. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend of Podcast. Drop us a line there with any feedback or recommendations. In particular, we'd appreciate recommendations for the non-toss episodes we're doing every other week. As the cost of heating skyrockets across Europe, Call It Friendo Podcast provides you with some of the hottest political hot takes to keep you warm. Enjoy. Just look up. There is no place to hide. Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, this is a new film week from the Call It Friendo podcast, uh, where we're going to, instead of watching one of our prescribed nerdy double bills, we're going to watch something new and probably relevant. We're going extra relevant this week. This is extra relevant, isn't it? I would say so. Would you say so, Andy? We've successfully captured the zeitgeist yeah, by well, talking about a film from last year. Yes, but it's about, like, you know, the now... It's send, it's sending up the world we live in. It's big, is what I'm saying. It's as big. Is it as big as motherless Brooklyn? I mean, only only this conversation will tell. I had a good time with uh, Don't Look Up. Um, but before we do that, will we talk a little bit about some stuff we've been watching? If we've got anything yeah. relevant to say, we've watched a lot of stuff, and so we're just going to be talking about the things we've been watching every two weeks. So they're they're stacking up a little bit. We've got quite a lot to to go through. Yes. Uh, do you want to go first? Tell me your first one. Okay, my first one. I got around to watching Antlers, the film I bemoaned not seeing instead of Spider-Man recently, uh, to which you countered. Um, well, it's not... Sub- well, you countered like this. Well, it's not supposed to be any good, pal. Like that. <laughs> That's right, because I'm from Leeds or somewhere. Was that not a good Scottish accent? Well, it's not supposed <laughs> to be any good, pal. Um <laughs> <laughs> you create your own accent that doesn't exist anywhere. I have to say that despite the fact that I'll definitely never watch Antlers again, and I probably will watch uh, the new Spider-Man film several more times in my life, uh, it did exactly what I maintain Spider-Man does not do and um, surprises one. It's a, a Guillermo del Toro produced Scott Cooper directed horror movie about a Native American monster in Appalachia. So you got meth, misery, and a monster. Uh, it's quite scary on a couple of occasions, um, but mostly it's just kind of tough. Uh, not tough like as in difficult, it's just like so grim. I mean, have you seen any Scott Cooper movies? I don't think so, because we were going to watch Hostiles at one point. Yes. But it lost the toss. I haven't seen Crazy Heart. What's the other thing you did? Um, I've seen it. Has Black he Mass. done anything else? Black Mass. Oh yeah, I have seen Black Mass. I didn't think much of that. But that is like a horror movie. Black Mass. It's fucking. It's mildly terrifying in parts. And Guillermo, Black my ass. There we go. And um, that sounds racial. It's not supposed to be. It's not racialist. Even though no. to look at Andy now, he looks more racialist than ever before. Yeah, I'm very much the modern Ethan Suplee at this point. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think Guillermo del Toro did his maths well. I think Scott Cooper does create sort of mood. Uh, the monster sequences, I mean, you know, they're you know, it's a monster. It's a mo- it's an antler monster. But uh, like a lot of the 
more Scott Coopery elements, the less Guillermo del Toro elements are like quite affecting. Like it's just a, a whole misery guts of a movie. Everybody's addicted to drugs, and this one kid, his dad gets possessed by an antler monster. It's interesting. I would recommend giving it a spin because it is scary once or twice, and you do like that kind of thing. I do like scary stuff. Who's the star of Antlers? Well, are there any names in it? Yeah, yeah, there are names, but the star is a kid, um, Jeremy something or other. I can't recall his name now, but um, Kerry Russell is in it. Jesse Plemons, a um, couple of other people, Graham Greene, the Native American actor. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Like, the kid is really the front and center of it all. But it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say it's more exactly what it says on the tin, which is unusual because I'm saying it surprised it, it me. But, it, it, like, I suppose it surprised me in the premise alone. It, like, it's a sort of an interesting premise how, like, you know, you've got basically an American Ken Loach film next to a Stephen King short story adaptation. It's like fucking, I don't know, Mike Flanagan doing a, a a social realist film or something like that. You know, it's interesting. I recommend it. All right. I'll check it out. Give me one. The first thing I watched was uh, 2003's Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder. A film about some killer people breasts. call it memory. Some people call it memories of murder, but they're idiots. Yeah, those are that's fools. not a correct title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Hey, idiots. I'd go on record. Is, I know this is the actual the, the correct. This is the original Korean title. It's a fuck. It's a fucking murder. brilliant movie, isn't it? Well, I'm gonna have to just go uh, right ahead and uh, disagree with you there. You didn't like so, it. After endless recommendations, I finally got around to watching Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, a film which is based on the true story of South Korea's first serial killer. Mm. It's set in a small rural town in Korea against the backdrop of the military dictatorship of the 80s. Two detectives and their flying shit-kicker lackey guy who flying-kick suspects try to crack the case as the killer claims more victims. The police are depicted fairly negatively. They threaten and beat suspects, plant evidence, and get into punch-ups with civilians, which I respect. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like a very nice time and place to live. I'd seen this film quoted as a go-to police procedural thriller alongside things like Seven and Prisoners. And I know Quentin Tarantino's a big fan, but I just couldn't get into it. And it, is it just because I'm racist? Am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> the mystery held no weight for me. The characters are unlikable, but in a way that I didn't want to spend time with them. I didn't care about the outcome of the case. I just had nothing invested in the film at all. Wow. Am I wrong? Am I also a bad person and bad at watching films? I'll tell you what. I've been meaning to go back around to this one for many years. What I remember is a series of like very impressive moments. Um, I remember the sequence in the quarry being uh, quite something. I remember there's a there's a scene at the end where he goes back to the original scene of the first murder and he's just staring into the trench. I thought that was quite affecting. But I've been meaning to revisit it uh, for years now, so uh, I'll watch it again this week and come back with my opinion. It's just, I don't know, uh, maybe the things that have copied it in some ways have superseded it for me. I, I, in comparison to something like Prisoners. Well, no, I would... I would... I'd much... Yeah, I'd prefer Prisoners myself too. Yeah. I'd much rather go with that kind of dark route. This was fine. It's just I, I can appreciate it from a technical perspective, but it just did not gel with me at all. Wow. I did not care. I didn't like any of the characters. And again, you're... Not that you necessarily need to, but I can I even identify or care about any of them. Well, I mean, you... Which, you know, you've been to Asia, so you should be able to on a level at least, but no, nothing. 
maybe that was part of it actually it was kind of like from a perspective of having lived in asia for a couple of years just seeing some of these things and going like oh god (laughs) (laughs) maybe it made me a little uncomfortable because i was like yeah i can i can identify with this a little too much in some ways i remember years ago um, in a different country like watching some of the early um what's his name you know you know that guy kim jong-un action director john woo john woo Watching the early John Woo movies, um, and like, you know, in, for example, uh, I think it's The Killer, there's a a scene near the start where, like, where they're in this weird cafe where everybody brings a bird, they bring, like, a bird in a cage, and they drink, and I remember, like, just particularly, the John Woo movies are full of stuff like that, and I realize now, years later, that he included weird places specifically for the theatrics of it all, you know? But I remember just watching it, just go every time I'd see something like that, just going, "My God, Asia is a silly place. Look at this. This is so silly. They were like having a gunfight in a bakery, and everybody's covered in flour. This is so silly." But yeah, anyway, no, I'm going to revisit that because I have. Okay, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but I remember really liking it. Very few memories. Yeah, or some the misleading title. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of murder. Shall I hit you up with one, please? Well, I watched your film of last year. The Last Jewel, and uh, my God, I can't praise this film enough. It's amazing. <laughs> like, Ridley Scott is at the very top of his game with this one, and, like, he has made some stone-cold classics. It's not even in my opinion. Just, it, I mean, it's the best thing he's made in years, I think. It's a, a great script with profound things to say. Everybody's acting their socks off. The subtleties in the changes in performance in performances between the versions of the story are just sublime from a craft point of view, particularly Adam Driver, the way he's viewed. Certain scenes are played almost exactly the same three times over, but there are tiny differences. It, that, it's fantastic, that, that kind of shit. Um, it's hardly surprising, but the depth to which Scott like achieves the Middle Ages is visually just breathtaking. And... That's to say nothing of the duel itself or the action in general, which is brutal. Like, everything looks heavy as fuck. Everyone looks malnourished. One thing that I loved in the duel is that you don't really see in many things is the uh, perception that it's really tiring dueling someone to the death. (laughs) Like, the boys are knackered near the end. It looks like a horrific time to be alive, but it's the best new film I've seen in a while, five big ones out of me. Anyway, I've, I absolutely fucking loved it. I enjoyed it so much, and the kind of uh, transportation that it gave you, particularly the interior scenes that it uh, took me to um, rewatching Barry Lyndon, which I enjoyed even more than the first time. Just another sort of a transportative film. But yeah, I completely second everything you said about the Last Jewel. Fantastic. I don't know you. One of your big points is you reckon. They won't be making films like this anymore. We won't see it anymore. I, you might be right. You know, there's another film I, I watched recently enough. I won't go into detail here. Uh, I I, re, I watched Gone Girl, and I I just I thought to myself that film was two seconds away from becoming a TV series if it had just been made one year later, or the book had been released one year later. TV series for sure. Um, something like this, something like The Last Jewel, I could see sort of the same thing for a miniseries almost. It's just the fact that, you know, Ridley Scott has swinged such a big dick in Hollywood that he can get something like this made. But I'd say there's few and far between, the, uh, particularly considering how much money it lost. Although, you know, Ridley Scott blames millennials for that. I think it's, you know, 
you could much easier probably blame COVID-19, but still, fantastic. I don't know where all the budget went in the last duel, because as far as I'm aware, they just turned up in Ireland and, like, switched on the cameras and just started, you know, like, they got, like, a kind of slice-of-life documentary of... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, 2021 Ireland. I actually recognized an awful lot of the people in the background. Mm -hmm. They just, yeah, they're just, like, local peasants, which I think is quite nice to get them involved. It was. Although they did feel that their, their souls were being stolen. Yeah, yeah, there was a, actually there was a, a lot of um, controversy about that. Apparently, he did steal quite a few <laughs> local souls in his magic. What's, I, I, in his what's magic he actually going to do with those souls? Is he just is he using them to artificially extend his own life? No, I think he sold them to um, Brian. What's his name? Singer. That's the one, Brian Singer. <laughs> Brian Singer oh. is going to have the souls of Irish peasants around for pool parties. Just male teenage as ones, I think. I don't know what well, he's going to... Hey, as long as they were of age, that's all that matters. This is it. What else you got? Well, I watched the first two of the three episodes that dropped of the new Peacemaker series on HBO Max. Nice. HBO Max, more like. This is an eight-part first season with all eight episodes written by James Gunn. Gunn also directed five of the episodes, so it's very much his baby. I would say whoever greenlit this is a genius, because it's essentially another four-hour James Gunn film broken down into eight parts. Uh, It carries on directly after events in the Suicide Squad film. There's a quick recap at the beginning of the first episode to bring viewers up to speed. And a number of the characters carry over from the film, like Steve Agee's. I don't know what any of the characters are called. But no, me neither. <laughs> sort of nerdy analyst guys are still there. Uh, in the series, John Cena's peacemakers engaged in government black ops to go up against a group of deadly Manchurian candidate-style monster assassin things. It has guns, typical darkly comic style. Very funny dialogue and brutal violence. Tonally, it's kind of a mashup of the boys and Eastbound and Down. And one of the episodes is actually directed by Jody Hill. Yeah, I am. Um, um, I actually read an interview with James Gunn the other day, and he got in touch with Jody Hill to try and get this greenlit. As far as I know, you see a lot of John Cena in his pants, which might seal the deal for some people. Uh, but overall, yeah, it, it's it's amazing that John Cena has become such a good comedy actor. He's amazing, and he is amazing in this. He's really, really funny. I yeah, and I would. I'm uh, looking forward to finishing it. I would totally double down on that because. I don't know, did you ever watch him as a wrestler? But there was never any kind of comedy to his wrestling character. That was after my time. I don't know anything about his wrestling career. It's strange. Like, difficult to kind of tell which wrestlers will, be, will, will pop in Hollywood, you know? You have to be able to lean into the comedy of your big, crazy massiveness. So I suppose there's a level of intelligence required of you, which... Maybe not all wrestlers have. No offense, all wrestlers. We have a lot of wrestler listeners, so please don't take it personally. Yeah, but I am really looking forward to that. I was a huge fan of the Suicide Squad uh, film. I just thought that was absolutely an epic good time. I enjoyed it so much. So yeah, I'm going to check this out. I actually didn't think it was going out till later in the year, so that's a nice little surprise for me. It's on HBO Max, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, as I said, it's a direct sequel to the Suicide Squad film. It's not a prequel, as maybe some people expected. It's uh, good. They just cleaned the slate, basically. But it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. And Gunn has uh, committed to a season two, if HBO Max agreed to renew it. Yeah, and he says he's going to direct all eight episodes, if he can. He wanted to direct all the episodes this time around. It makes so much sense. It's like, just give... This is one of the people who you're like, just give them... Kate Blanchett, let him do what he wants. <laughs> yeah, totally. I agree. <laughs> uh, 
But also, it goes to show, it's like, you know when people say um, film is a director's medium and television is a writer's medium, it just goes to show how much extra you can gain if one series has the same director for every episode. I mean, if you look at something like uh, Loki, which Kate, Kate something or other, sorry, sorry lady, I forgot your name, she like directed all, the, or um, Carrie Fukunaga for True Detective, mm, the first season True of True Detective. Detective, just had just a tone all the way through. I know what you mean, but I feel like the showrunners are more important. But you've got you've I mean here you've got someone you've got Gunn who's a director and a writer. Yeah. So that definitely helps. So a big fat recommend from you. Yeah, I I think it, the first episode I wasn't a hundred percent sold, but then the second episode was hilarious, and I'm fully in now that they've set that set up the world. Robert Patrick plays John Cena's dad in it. And uh, he's excellent as this racist character called the uh, White Dragon. I'm in. Robert Patrick is a 27 percenter for me. I just love him and stuff. (laughs) Well, in this, he's like a full-on Nazi. Comedy shows used to generally be my favorite shows, and I I watch a lot of them. And I just haven't an awful lot in recent years, like accepting like, you know, zeitgeist things like uh, Fleabag and shit like that. So I actively like sought out a few comedies, and I kind of, I hated both of them. (laughs) I watched a show called Superstore, the first episode, which is just awful. It goes to show how bad it can go if you get, like, not funny people in a comedy show. You need comedians in in your comedy show. You don't need actors. And then um, I also watched the first episode of Stathlet's Flats, which I can understand why people find it funny, but I find it quite distracting because it's as though the main character, Stath, is mentally impaired. And it's not like Craggy Island. Dougal is mentally impaired, but they're on Craggy Island, so it's a wacky place. Statlitz Flats appears to be based in the real world. But anyway, I digress, because I, I didn't stick with either of those. I rewatched both seasons of Ricky Gervais' Afterlife in the run-up to the third and final season, which came out on Friday. I haven't watched any of that yet, though. I'm a big fan of this show. I'd say it's the best thing Ricky Gervais has done since The Office. Um, as a famous atheist i think gervais with this show has kind of given his audience a backdoor into the buddhist mantra that life is suffering generally like it's all about a grieving man gradually coming to see that fucking everybody's got problems and if the meaning of life is to make it slightly less painful for others whenever you can then that's enough i mean that in itself sounds quite schmalsy and it is quite schmalsy i bawled like a baby on a couple of occasions uh, rewatching this but it's also quite funny in parts um like really funny and um i'm looking forward to the third season of this i hope he can stick the landing i was a huge and still am a huge fan of the office and everything he's done sort of since that has been a little bit, man, not so much, not so much, and more so for me. I'm not, I'm not really into his stand-up, but I think this is really, really great. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I haven't watched anything of Afterlife. I don't know why. It just hasn't appealed to me. I think I was, I guess I was just of the opinion that Ricky Gervais was on a, has been on a downward slide for so many years. I just assumed this was going to be awful as well. I would... Be interested to hear your thoughts. Do you like anything that he's done? Yeah, I mean, I love The Office. I thought Extras at the time was okay. Life's Too Short, I remember thinking had some funny moments, but overall was like, okay, you're reusing the same idea. I never watched anything of Derek. I sub-watched a couple of clips, and I felt like, yeah, that's not for me. He really, really breaks uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s rule from Tropic Thunder in that. Well, I'm going full retard. Yes, it's and it's... 
just that's un- a quote. It's uncomfortable. Yes, that is a quote. <laughs> it's not. It's not my opinion. <laughs> yeah, you, I think Andy you should, should, go you should, you should do that as <laughs> yes, much as possible. All times. On the contrary, I try to live that. That's my mantra. <laughs> you ever seen I Am Sam? Yeah, I, I no, sorry, I haven't seen I Am Sam, but I remember what, <laughs> I remember watching the trailer in the cinema even back then, thinking like, really, are you going to do this, Sean Penn? I watched like, like I like remember I watched idea. the first ten minutes of it and I had to turn it off. I was like, I can't. This is just it's this is too much. You're in risky ground here, Sean Penn. I think that was like the the last time you could probably do that. Yeah, <laughs> he got in while the getting was good. Fair play to him. Yeah. What do you got? Well, I was going to talk a little about the Station Eleven finale. Oh well, in that case, can I just run through one thing first, and then we'll we'll because I finished well, that. I, off I do have other. I do have other things as well. Ah, fair enough. Dig in. Well, so I watched the the Station Eleven finale. I don't have a huge amount to say about this without talking about the entire miniseries, but I did cry a couple of times, and I'm an emotional husk of a human. Yeah. So imagine the effect it could have on a person with feelings. I think it did a good job of tying together and resolving the main threads about as well as they could in an hour of television, though I think it would have benefited from another couple of episodes. Mm. Uh, after the finale, Dan Romer's score dropped on Spotify, so mainly I've been listening to that and oh, excellent. pretending that I'm in the TV show. Uh, just the score alone gets me choked up. Also, Dan Romer responded to me on Instagram, so shout out to Dan Romer, the official composer of Call It Friendo. Nice. Alongside the guy who directed The Killing of Two Lovers, whatever he's called. He's the official director of Call It Friendo. Yes, that's right. Um, Robert McChode. Yeah, Robert McChode. So they're both, uh, yeah, they're both official supporters of the Call It Friendo podcast. The fact that this is a 10-episode miniseries means that I'll inevitably revisit it. And again, I, I heartily recommend it to anyone who hasn't started it yet. I've also just started the audiobook now, really loving it. And all that remains is for them to publish the graphic novel, which I would definitely buy and study religiously. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. I just finished it this morning. Uh, parts of me like longed at the start for like a little of the scuzziness of the road a little bit. And you get that in glimpses, but mostly you just get really, really emotionally invested in it, which is nice because that's pretty much the central theme of the show is kind of, I don't know, getting emotionally invested in art. Uh, it really hit me in ways that I was not expecting, and um, that might have a lot to do with my recently becoming a dad and thinking about my future in terms of other people, but this has been um, fairly underpromoted, I would say. I think it's fair to say, you know, for obvious reasons, but um, everyone should watch this. There are two moments which stand out for me and will be tough to beat in terms of memorable television this year. Firstly, uh, in episode seven... I'll, without spoiling it, when that man just appears is just chilling mm-hmm. as as fuck. Uh, that's the Cormac McCarthy apocalypse intruding on the safe haven, that moment right there. It's really, really chilling. Um, and secondly, in the final episode, there's a moment where two characters see each other for the first time in a while, let's say, in a way that I was not expecting, and I just got goosebumps all over my body, including my balls, <laughs> and I fucking bawled like a baby. Um, I... I have gotten a copy of the book and I'm going to give that a go too. It's like complex, emotional, it's fun, it's scary. Thank you, Andy, for the recommendation. I, it was so random that I came across it. It was such a strange thing. I was just, I was on the stand subreddit reading a post about that. I was someone talking about rereading the stand and then 
I for some reason I started searching. I was like post-apocalyptic literature, and this came up. I clicked on the link, and then there was like, oh, there's a TV series out. I mean, it was. I'm not saying that it was fate, and that God definitely exists and directed <laughs> that, but He did, and it's real. It's all real, and it all means something. And there's hidden codes in everything, and we need to we need to scour through all media to find the truth and expose the lizard people also. Did part of you while watching it kind of, you know, wish the apocalypse happened a bit? All the time. I, that, I always <laughs> have that feeling. I've got nothing invested in owning property and stuff like that. I'm like, bring it on. I'm ready to join a traveling Shakespeare company. I don't think I'm a good actor, but I reckon with like 99.9% of people are dead, I'll be, I'm the next Robert De Niro at that point. Uh, I think I'll just, you know, get... Like, you know, run to the nearest nerd shop and get one of those, uh, you know, replica swords and just be some kind of a warlord. That'll be my game plan. Yeah, I would do that. And I would have gimps, obviously. Oh, yeah, totally. Channing Tatum. Obviously. I would actively yeah, seek out Channing style. Tatum as my gimp. Mm-hmm. So I watched what an- do you have? another thing. I talked about it to you briefly outside the show. I watched um, Catch-22, David Maichode and Luke Davies' collaboration. <laughs> Maichode. <laughs> <laughs> my showed David Michaud and Luke Davies collaboration with George Clooney and Grant Hesloff. I love Joseph Heller's book. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. Um, and I like Mike Nichols's film well enough too, but I think, and I think TV in recent years has made massive strides in adequately replacing the medium of reading in certain sectors. Like I loved the recent, um, Jack Ryan series for this and I'm looking forward to the upcoming Jack Reacher series for the same reason I think the book section of like airport books has been adequately replaced with a certain type of TV series I think they they do it right all the Jacks anyway I didn't think <laughs> all the Jack R's yeah exactly all the Jack R's yes uh, all the Jackers I didn't um, think yeah. it could be pulled off with works of serious literature And all I can say is maybe I need to read the book again, but this show gets seriously close to pulling off a perfect adaptation in terms of, like, story content and tone. Like, I want to read the book again, and I will. But uh, for anyone who feels that they just, I don't know, couldn't be arsed, this really might do you just as well. Like, the book is great for being funny until it isn't, until it becomes, like, tragic and disturbing. And then becomes funny again. It kind of moves it. And those moments, like, really sneak up on you. And the show pulls those off just as well, like with the ratio of hilarious to disturbing, evening out as the show gains momentum. The one potentially negative comment, I have to, it's not negative, I suppose it's more of an interrogative uh, comment I have to make is, uh, who was asking for this? Like, it looks like it was expensive to make, and I can't seem to find many people who actually watched it or give a fuck, uh, to which my conclusion is, this must have just been mad banter to make for the filmmakers and actors involved. Like, I imagine filmmakers stress a lot adapting things they love, but these boys got to adapt a book they love, and I presume exactly as they imagined it, which must have been, you know, mad banter for my chode and company. Yeah, I just assumed it was like a George Clooney vanity project. I also assumed it would be bad before you said it was good. Really? It was my general assumption. I was thinking of things like Monuments Men. Oh, I've not seen that. Well, no, because the thing... Neither, neither have I. <laughs> Again, I'm going off of, like, public opinion here. Yeah, apparently it's very, very terrible, as Monuments Men. Um, of George Clo- Has George Clooney directed any good stuff? 
Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous liked. Mind's fine. Uh, didn't he direct Ides of March? That was all right. Yeah. With yeah. Gosling. Yeah, Clooney and co. just picked it up. It was actually David Maitchoda and Luke Davies that de- developed it. They are based on a conversation of like what books that have been, in, literally what books that have been adapted into film could have worked better as a miniseries. So there you go. I actually rewatched season five of Peep Show. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm rewatching Peep Show, but I know, oh, well, I will talk about it. You know mm. what? I'm going to talk about it right now. But just to say this, that I know series season one to four of Peep Show kind of off by heart. Yeah. But then around from season five to nine, a lot of that time I was living in foreign countries and I've seen some episodes, but there's bits of it that passed me by. And I always just said... One day I'm going to eventually rewatch the whole thing. And I started rewatching season one to four and I realized like I know this stuff too well. Yeah. So I, I restarted in season five and just I haven't laughed like that. Oh, it's incredible. I, I, it's stuff I've seen recently. Nothing that I've seen recently hits the mark. It's also there's times where I'm cringing so hard. You know, I just rewatched that over Christmas series five. Exactly. So I'm in good yeah. form to talk about that. That it's I, I'm fully with you, like losing my shit laughing at that. <laughs> yeah, like genuinely cackling like an insane Remind person. me of some of the things, because that's the, the right. Oh, do you know one thing I love? Just There's one thing, they go to the festival. Yes, the Christian that's Rock Festival. Yeah. Superhands getting head rushes. <laughs> yeah. um, fucking... We just sit here and talk about the best jokes. Oh my God. No, do you know what I love? I love how much of a prick uh, Jeff is. You know the character that that yeah 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 that I, I, when I was watching it, it made me angry, like genuinely angry. I was like, if I saw that guy, I think I would just punch him. <laughs> like the actor, I mean. Oh, he's such completely a, overboard. Like everyone in Peep Show is so bad, and like you couldn't make you know that episode when Mark basically accepts coercion, coercing this Australian girl into being his his girlfriend. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Like, yeah, oh, so fucking funny. <laughs> there's so many great, uh, there's too many great episodes. So I'm looking forward to, I'm just going through the other, I'll go through season six to nine of Peep Show as well. I know I've seen yeah. probably half of the episodes before, but there's, de- I definitely have gaps there. I don't know what happened. It just kind of passed me by some of them over I, the years. I'm, I think I'm going to have to watch season six along with you because I enjoyed, <laughs> see, I like just on a, over Christmas at home in Ennis, my, myself and my brother Oshin randomly got up early, randomly put on Peep Show season five, episode one. I think we watched it all over the course of two mornings. It was, ju- it's just fucking hilarious. Anyway, what else? So there's that. Well, I also, uh, last night I watched Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin's follow up to a film we discussed in one of our first episodes, 2018's Free Solo. Uh, oh. Their latest film is 2021's The Rescue, a National Geographic documentary recounting the extraordinary mission to save a group of Thai teenagers and their football coach trapped in a flooded cave system during monsoon season in Thailand. Back I remember in that was on the news, yeah. It was on the news. The documentary mainly follows two of the British cave divers who volunteered to spearhead the rescue effort and their Australian doctor friend. It features a mix of video recorded by the people involved, news footage from media outlets, and well-shot recreations of events. This film had me in tears as well. It's extremely moving and very inspirational. Uh, With a rescue mission that involved hundreds of volunteers from all over the world who took unbelievable risks because they felt it was the right thing to do. The narrative is like a Hollywood thriller with an amazing series of ups and downs. 
The only downside to the documentary is that National Geographic could only get the rights to the divers' stories, with Netflix signing a deal with the kids and their families for a future, no doubt, subpar doc of their own. But the the divers' stories are enough to make this an exceptional documentary of people displaying immense bravery with little regard for their own safety. And Ron Howard is making a film version starring Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and George and Joel Edgerton. That's quite a cast. When you see the main British diver, who's going to be played by Colin Farrell, that's where you see Hollywood casting. <laughs> and it's like, oh. they, there's no way they could cast someone who looks like the real guy. <laughs> oh, he's not as pretty as Colin Farrell, is he? Uh, I, I don't want to knock the guy too hard. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a hero. Uh, the Rescue, he's, that's he's called, no, is it? He's no Colin Farrell. Yeah, The Rescue. Oh, no, yeah. I'm going to watch that tonight. That sounds great. Are we on to uh, Don't Look Up? Yeah, I watched one more thing, but it does tie into my opinion of Don't Look Up. Go for it. Well, after I watched Don't Look Up, I started thinking a little bit about successful satires. And the film that Don't Look Up has been compared to the most is probably Mike Judge's Idiocracy Oh, 2006. Are you a fan? I am, yeah. I decided to give it a rewatch to see how it holds up. And the film shows the results of dysgenics in American society 500 years in the future where Luke Wilson and Maya Rudolph, two average citizens, one a military secretary and the other a prostitute, are frozen in an experiment. When they wake up five centuries later, they discover that they are now the most intelligent people on the planet. In a society that waters dying crops with a sports drink and where Starbucks offers hand jobs with their coffee. First things first, it's 84 minutes long. Yeah, I still felt that was it too is. long for idiocracy. There was a couple of minutes, there are a couple of moments towards the end where it drags a little bit, where they're doing the big death match. But apart from that, I thought it moved along pretty well. It's also a broad comedy with strong satirical elements. I think the big difference for me, this is my opinion, and this leads into my opinion to Don't Look Up, but the big difference for me is that Idiocracy, even more than 15 years later after coming out, is genuinely really funny. Mm. And the satirical elements appear more and more prescient. But it's a comedy first, and it doesn't have a chastising or smug tone. And you think Don't Look Up does? Yes. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you on that then. This will be fun. I've got to be honest. I did not have high expectations for this, which might have helped. And before I even get to my opinion, I'd just like to say um, shame on me for that. You know, I've got a cast that should be enough on its own, and it's written and directed by Adam McKay, who's had... As a like as fascinating an evolution as a filmmaker as you'll see anywhere, he made three of the funniest Will Ferrell movies and then some other stuff, and then he took his comic sensibilities to tell more serious stories to, in my opinion, mostly great success. Where do you stand on Adam McKay? By the before we, I feel like Adam McKay hasn't done himself any favors with the publicity that's come out during the promotional circuit for this film. Yes. Uh, I agree. I thought this, based on that, I thought this would be like Animal Farm for climate change. It might it might have been the presence of Leonardo DiCaprio that tipped me in that direction, but regardless, it is not that. I, w- I think that's fair to say. I just, uh, I'm thinking about that. There's a clear dividing line in his filmography, which is everything pre the big short yes. and everything post that. Hmm. This film's co-written with David Sirota, who's a journalist and former speechwriter for Bernie Sanders. Adam McKay is like a a big, big Democrat, but I, I mean, as you would expect, I just think he's incapable of subtlety. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, this is the guy. This is who not makes a subtle Step film. Brothers. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Anchorman one and two as well. Even Vice. I remember thinking Vice was fine, but I wasn't it definitely huge on Vice. No, it was. I thought it was okay, but it definitely goes down the route of like Cheney is Satan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very Michael Which, Moore. I found. Yeah, yeah. I just I feel like they they could afford a little bit of nuance in there. I really enjoy The Big Short, though. I've seen that a few times, and I I genuinely think that's a, a great film. I like it well enough. I, I I'm not a huge fan of the meta fourth wall breaking that he no. does. It's funny because I, I like either, it actually. in other things. I like it in things like Twenty Four Hour Party People, but when there's a bit more subtlety to it and it's less no. But I did the the, the political the device he took uh, with the explainers. I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of the Big Short. The first thing that comes to mind is, well, because I, I, you see, Ryan Gosling breaks the fourth wall in that as well, and I don't mind him doing it. He's good at it. Mm. He, like, um, <laughs> he said, like, he'll, why are you laughing? No, I'm just laughing because, like, who are the other ones that are not, there's, like, Margot Robbie does one. Anthony Bourdain does one. Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't like those, but there's parts where, like, for example, um, they're at some conference in Las Vegas, and Steve Carell's character stands up and starts lambasting the guy at the podium. And Ryan Gosling like tells you this actually happened like literally like this beat for beat. I quite enjoyed the, like the little moments like that where he did, mm. um, and I thought um, I thought that film actually was decent enough at sort of subtlety in parts. Like in a weird I way, I think I've only seen it once. In a weird way, and not no, actually, subtlety is the wrong word. But I don't think it was slapping you in the face with it all so much. And I don't. I even though I've heard Adam McKay in interviews. And he does, he has a kind of a sort of a, in my opinion, a snooty, a snobby air about him. It is kind of looking down. I don't feel this film did so much as you're saying. I thought, like, it's sometimes, for me anyway, you clearly didn't find it that funny. For me, it, like, it, it is sometimes like a hilarious satire of American uh, institutions and that when watched seriously is like frankly a little bit terrifying i w- i i would think i mean there are faults in it good as i think he is i think leonardo dicaprio is miscast uh, they try to make light of this a lot by making him a meme in the world of the movie the hot astronomer stuff but it just didn't work so much for me i think i'd rather have seen him and mark rylance switch positions even though i think Mar- mark rylance is amazing in it uh, i think w- like one gets the sense that without leonardo dicaprio this mightn't have gotten made but on the whole, I think it like works really well as a disaster movie. I think it's funny, and I think it's a, a, a terrifying. Um, but one of the moments that actually worked best for me was um, when they all have dinner at the end, and that actually got me a bit teary, uh, just before a mid-credits sting that pulled off a gag, a, a paid off a gag rather um, tremendously, I thought. So yeah, I, I, I don't, but I didn't get snooty from it, and I really, really was expecting to. So maybe it was my expectations that, um, what did you expect going into this? Like, did you have anything similar to me? I think this met my expectations. Okay. This is more or less what I expected. Yeah, critically, I think this film's sitting at about 58% on Rotten Tomatoes Tomatoes. It's incredibly Amy polarizing. (laughs) So I'm kind of expected to either really like it or to not care for it at all. And it's not that I necessarily maybe maybe I'm I'm the one person who's in the middle. I just don't really care. Mm. I'm not invested in this at all. I feel like as a satire, it doesn't function properly. 
because it's not it's not exploring anything interesting that we don't already know. It's kind of just it's like a, a, such an obvious an obvious reflection of things that we're all aware of in society. It's not you know so like idiocracy kind I of think extrapolates and goes further. The only the only part of this I feel like is an interesting satire is the ending of like of of paying that off, of paying off the end of the world and then also having them go to this alien planet. When you're saying like stuff that we're all painfully aware of, I think you're stretching us a little bit there. But I think your the your point is very cleanly validated by the fact that this film will not reach an audience that anybody who's watching this probably agrees with it. That's that's exactly what I mean by like ch- smug chastising tone. Who is this for? Because it's not attempting to win anyone over. If it is attempting to win anyone no, over, it's not, who but... doesn't doesn't believe in climate change, then what's the purpose? Like, what? Why is it a satire? Like, what? Like, what are you know? It, it got me thinking of like the Righteous Mind, Jonathan book, book. that we've both read. Yeah, Jonathan Hyde book about there's elements in that where he talks about if you want to win someone over you need to appeal to their emotional side not to their logical side you can't give people facts and expect them to i mean you you can't give people facts and get them on board with you like it's just it's not going to work you need to appeal to them in some other way and chastising them and calling them shite bags is not going to work i do think that those people mostly are shite bags Mm. But equally, I'm not. I'm not trying to win them over, and I'm haven't made a big Netflix film. Well, I don't think the film is trying to win them over dollar. either. So then, what is it doing? Is it just trying to reaffirm of like, haha, look at these idiots, or is it just saying this is the state of the world and there's nothing we can do about it? Well, that seems overly cynical. Here's the thing: it's like I said this at the start. I thought this would be Animal Farm for climate change. I don't think it is that. I don't see when you said Animal Farm before. I totally thought you said Animal House. <laughs> Maybe it's possible I did. I mean, I, I, I say I make fuck ups like that all the time on this show. Because I, I was thinking, I was imagining people in Animal like, House for Climate Change sounds Greek. like a good movie. I'd like that. I was imagining people in togas. <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I just don't think it is that. I don't like, I, okay, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's as much about the meteor as the institutions and i don't think the meteor is necessarily climate change i think it's more something except like- that's what adam mckay has explicitly said in interviews oh has he all right well in that yes, i stand corrected it is, it is a metaphor for climate change oh well in uh, that david case- sirota and him came up with it and said hey yeah they were talking about climate change and david sirota said you know it's and this is how he said it in this tone obviously even though i just read this somewhere yeah you know, that's kind of like if there's it's like there's a meteor heading towards the earth, man, and we're just not doing anything about it. And then Adam McKay said, What did you say? To say that again. And then they wrote a film around it. Ah, you've kind of changed my opinion on the film now. <laughs> this is I think maybe this this is a is a problem of treating something in a in a extra textual way of Adam McKay rambling like a a twat on social media. And that's part of the reason. A lot of the negative reaction is that. Is the media going like, oh, Adam McKay. Right. Well, okay, let me backtrack on this a little bit because I thought the film was more clever than it is uh, in that case. Um, 
and I was kind of giving it the credit of being more of a satire of in, uh, and I, Jesus Christ, that's a bit of a brick to the head of a fucking metaphor, then, isn't it? <laughs> like I, it was I, also rewritten during COVID to include elements of the U.S. government's response. Well, you see, this is what I. This is the relevance I thought it w- was there because, like, you'll often hear Sam Harris going on about you know the response to COVID was not good, but uh, you know at least COVID wasn't that bad. But supposing something actually properly bad came on. And I thought that basically they were treating that with, you know, like they, like they were giving it a disaster movie spin of an exaggeration to satirize the institutions that you see in the film. But one thing that I really fucking hate is um, the fact that you, I don't think you can trust much, many things that people say publicly about climate change because it's become such a political baton. And I think that's a shame, because it sounds like it's really important, but I, I feel like you just can't fucking believe anybody. You know what I mean? And it's because of shit like this. It's because of, like, the apocalyptic tone that everybody adopts whenever they're talking anything about climate change that, for me, wrecks the whole discussion. And then, so it's either it's not happening, or it's all over already, and it's your fault, right-winger, you know, that's the, 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 the two things that, you know, I see, I, I, I hear with it. And it's almost like, like, I, I've, I've said this, like, and been publicly chastised in parties. And, but I feel like, in, a, in this odd way, uh, I'll, I'll say it publicly now, maybe get chastised publicly, but I feel like in this odd way, Donald Trump and Greta Thunberg are all, like, kind of of the same species of weird hysteria. Like, I just, they're sort of, you know, golden calves of everybody's hysteric beliefs outside of rationality. No, I think I've explained that well enough there. But yeah, now that you've said that, this has kind of... I, I, I still did enjoy the film, but I think I was giving it way too much credit in that case. Because that is fucking stupid to make that decision. A meteorite is climate change. That's fucking stupid. Uh, is it ultimately the general public's responsibility is it the general public that's holding back policy on climate change is there a suggestion that if people had voted differently that the elected leaders would somehow i feel like if like in the uk you would have to elect the green party or something in the us i don't know if who do you elect it'd have to be like a third party candidate or something and it's never going to happen. I don't think any of the major players would would affect the type of change that's required. So, uh, like to to then chastise the voters, chastising the public and saying this is your fault is like, well, is it though? Yeah, no. I mean, it doesn't help. But just random shite that people are saying, but you know, like general public opinion. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is whoever's in charge is is making the 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 correct choices based on the scientific evidence that they have well you see that's why i said like you know it's a particularly a satire of american institutions and i also said it's frankly terrifying there are many things that have happened in america in the last few years that i have said to myself wow if i were an american citizen living in america i would be a little bit scared right now and i i really mean that i've no hyperbole in there at all if i was in america during the last election and i was looking at it's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. These are the two best guys we have. And this is it. This is what we're going for. Really? Nothing else. 
I mean, you, you know, we could rabbit on about this for days. It's basically, I think the major problem is probably that they only have a two-party option and it seems impossible that they'll ever have anything else. But like, I also think there's an air of that. I think they're constantly in a hangover period from considering themselves the greatest country in the world. I think <laughs> I think that's a problem right there that they're always harping on about this, that sort of shit. I mean, we are we're getting a little bit away from the film, but I suppose it Not really. I think we are. I think this this is the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it like because you're right. It is about it is about who, who's in power, I I feel. I I, do, I like but I also feel like there's not much of an option to get anybody in power in America ever at all. Like it's impossible to get anything done there because of just you're constantly trying to get reelected and there's people putting money in your pocket from different directions etc and then it doesn't help that like you know some hollywood douchebag makes a film with all his famous friends to lecture the public there's a lot of baggage to certain cast members as well because they're so staunchly democrat they're so staunchly one side yeah jimmy I woods found in that in affected this. it who jimmy woods ain't in this Anytime soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it bounced out. I, don't, I mean, in terms of getting into cast, I was just going to say we should focus on things, people that we liked, like performances that we liked and that we didn't like rather than, because it's a new film as well, rather than going into the typical trivia. But one person that I wasn't a big fan of was Ron Perlman cast as the sort of Randy Quaid type character from... Uh, Independence Day, yeah. Yeah, Independence Day as the pilot that's going to fly up and and uh, he does a couple of things where he's like shooting at the asteroid and stuff like that yeah it was stupid i mean he he's so staunchly left wing like i can't disassociate him from that you know he was planning to run for president for uh 2020 really run Perlman? yeah 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 he's he, he's very very vocal i did not know that so when i saw him i was just kind of like oh yeah that makes sense he's just him with his friends but like taking pot shots in a way i'd rather that they'd brought in someone a bit more neutral even that's dis- or someone that's, from the right would have been funny that's disappointing like also because i think ron perlman would make a great right wing guy don't you <laughs> he's definitely not though that's not his character at all he's yeah very very but i mean he'd be great very, on the right lefty. they could really use somebody like ron perlman <laughs> who did you like in the film I like Timmy Timmy Peach Fuzz. Chalamet was Chalamet was hilarious. I thought he was very funny, yeah. very charming. I hope he does a, a a lot more comedy. He was much better in this than in French Dispatch, in my opinion. I think he's really handled the comedy well here. Yeah, it, really nice. Like he came across as just this like nice, charming boy. As yes, well. it really took me back to like my misspent youth, but in a good way. I like Jonah Hill. It was classic Jonah Hill. Yes, he's. Funny. I wonder how much of his performance was improv because it's very much in his voice. He pulled off the Trump Jr. role with no problems. Do you know he what he said? His notion of he said his notion of the character was: what if the fire festival was a person? <laughs> Which I thought was nice. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> his part. Uh, the, the, oh yeah, when they're. Um, they're watching something on a TV in a White House crisis room or something, and he goes to sh- he goes to kiss Jennifer Lawrence. That maybe I I was howling with laughter at that. I thought that was everything he did was funny. In fairness, I, I was fully on board with his little comments and stuff. But it was just like classic Jonah Hill. It didn't feel like it was 
no of yeah, yeah, yeah. the film particularly it was just like this is John Hill doing his shtick yeah, and yeah. I'm on board and he's 100%. very good at it like he's great he was basically he's very, very good he was doing the thing from the the world's end no the end of the world yeah uh, this this this, this is, the, is end. the end this is the end yeah yeah, yeah. do you know what was a, a strange example of a bit of comedy misused in the film is I like because I thought it worked wonderfully as a as a gag but then they try to make it into a running gag is a uh, you know when the the general charges them for the snacks that was a weird. I've I've heard that quoted as some people's favorite joke. I was kind of well, like, I thought it was really? just You're a funny bringing that back. I just thought it was a funny thing to happen in that scene. I I genuinely I thought yeah. But then they but kept then coming back to it, trying to bring it back yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, two yeah. three times. I've I've genuinely seen people say that was they thought that was the funniest thing that they kept turn it into like a running joke. No no no. I, uh, it wasn't a good running joke. It was, it was good, a good joke. I thought it was a good a good throwaway gag. I agree, but then to 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 fall back on that as Jennifer Lawrence's main comedy. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't uh, good. Element. It's like really. Is that we gonna do? I thought that Carte Blanche was very good. She was excellent. Yes, she was. She transformed herself into a bleach-toothed Fox News anchor, but one who's uh, yeah, very intelligent, speaks four languages, did multiple degrees, but has dumbed herself down. I've I've heard someone say this is based on someone. Uh, Megan Kelly, like, I'd some say real. Is it, is it some or some Fox News anchor? I don't know enough about it, but supposedly there is someone on Fox who's really intelligent, but has like kind of sold their soul. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Blanchett also played lovers in another film. You know what it was? Scorsese film. Oh, The Aviator. Yeah, yeah. Kate uh, DiCaprio is Howard Hughes, and Kate Blanchett is Catherine Hepburn. I've, She's actually I've older seen that than film him. a total it, of once. It. <laughs> I've seen that film twice. Yeah, I think I've seen it once as well. It freaked me out at one point where Leonardo DiCaprio's children in it are look like they're in their twenties, and I was going like, mathematically, how is that possible? He's he's like he's like fourteen years old, Leonardo DiCaprio. How can, <laughs> this, how can this be? He's a child. What did you think of Mark Rylance in the film? I didn't mind him. I always liked Mark Rylance, but like, what are they taking aim at? Like autism. <laughs> <laughs> He's more or less he's more or less just doing his Ready Player One character again. Yeah. I, is it Elon Musk, Elon Zuckerberg? Like what what exactly is these guys on the spectrum and that's the thing? Like it's fair enough. Mm. I thought I thought he's I thought he's fine. I don't know how I feel about him in co- in a comedy. Uh, uh, originally it was going to be Chris Evans. Here's something interesting for you with with that character. All Big tech heads are big lefties, so they've got nobody to actively satirize. So the character is a complete invention. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's they've got nobody there. Like, what are they going to yeah, do? I make fun I of? I can't think of anyone. Make fun of Bill Gates at their peril. Make fun of Bill Gates. I thought that Meryl Streep was fine. She seemed sort of on autopilot a bit. She's playing that kind of Trump, Sarah Palin type clone. No, she uh, really irked me. Th- that's quite easy to satirize and make fun of, but again, it just felt like so obvious. It just we're we're like, okay, yeah, we get it. It's like a Trump thing, but yeah. And what did you think of the subplot with the cowboy judge who she sent a picture of her vagina to? Yeah, I mean, that looks like it's uh, supposed to be what's his name, Kavanaugh. But oh, kind of yeah, redone I a little. Yeah, I didn't like that. I thought that was just stupid and took up screen time. I just, I, that's one of the, uh, another one of the elements that just felt really basic. It just felt like, yeah, 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 okay, we get it. Like, this doesn't feel like it's exploring anything interesting. Yeah, it was really the world that uh, Adam McKay began to explore with the big short, with uh, his old movies popping in every now and again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's some, but he said he wanted to make a broad comedy that was a satire of climate change. That's what he decided to do. But the broad, this is what I was saying, uh, you know, leading off in my, in my opinion here. The broad comedy in Idiocracy to me is much funnier. Yeah. I just remember just not being invested in Idiocracy. I, th- I remember thinking it was a really good idea and it made me laugh occasionally. Oh, and uh, what's his name as the president was rather excellent in it. Uh, Terry Crews. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember enjoying that. Maybe I should watch Idiocracy again. It's uh, it's so short. Mm. It's It has a lot of funny moments. There's a lot of things that really... <laughs> it, I don't. I don't even want to say it. We'll get in trouble. But they they use the modern bad f word as an adjective, and uh, it's something you definitely can't do in uh, in in films anymore. But it's really really funny. Oh wow! Well, I mean, that's worth the price of admission alone, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Shall we dig into the plot a little bit? Yeah, why not? I'll, I'll why just not? fire through. I'll do. just read it if you want. Do yeah yeah yeah. Kate DiBiaschi, a Michigan State University astronomy PhD candidate doing work with the Subaru telescope, discovers a previously unknown comet just inside of Jupiter's orbit at 4.6 AU from the Sun. Her professor, Dr. Randall Mindy, calculates that it will impact Earth in about six months and is large enough to cause a planet-wide extinction event. Oh, no! Which NASA internally confirms. Accompanied by NASA's Planetary Defense Co- Coordination Office head, Dr. Teddy Oglethorpe, Dibiaski and Mindy present their findings to the White House, but are met with apathy from President Jane Orlean and her son, Chief of Staff Jason. Hmm. Do you know uh, what I've just remembered? We, at some point for this podcast, should watch Moonfall. Do you know about Moonfall? I have. Se- I saw the trailer, I think, when I went to see Spider-Man. That film looks like a- it. looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a lot of fun, no? Well, we foolishly thought that the moon was a moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out it was, it's, it's like not. a spaceship or something, isn't it? It's got aliens in it or something. Nice. I thought, the first, I thought the first five minutes of this film, I would have happily watched that film. The serious film? The first five film. minutes is a... Yeah, I would have yeah. watched the serious film. I would have watched the Deep Impact. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like a disaster like, movie. I would have been on board with that just if the characters had been smart. If if all the characters had been super smart, I would have liked that. Mm. Because the first five minutes of this film had so much energy. It was well shot. There was a really beautiful... There's a. I remember a really, really nice shot of like a plane stationary in the sky with the background moving. Yeah, was, I remember all that the too. Stuff that they sh- they, all the stuff they showed of using the telescope early on in the first scene. It just... It felt like it was... Again, it was like money on the screen and it, it had a real energy to it. There was multiple music cues that were used well. After the first five minutes of the film, I was genuinely thinking like, well, how could anyone not like this? <laughs> how could this go off the rails? What could possibly go wrong? She also has some very nice looking toast with jam. I thought that looked good. Mm. Meryl Streep's character is called Janie Orlean. I wondered if that was a reference to Susan Orlean. Who's Susan Orlean? The character she plays in Adaptation. Ah, perhaps. It's also a real person. Yes, she's the so person who wrote the I Orchid Thief article. Mm. That's a good film. Yes, that's a, that. that's a great film. We should, we should, can we just we should watch, watch that, that instead. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who plays Oglethorpe, Rob Morgan, I hadn't seen him in anything before. He's in uh, all the Netflix, Marvel TV shows. I was not familiar with him at all. I thought he was very good, but I mean, he had a kind of a tough, thankless role. Yeah, that's fair. So he doesn't really get to do comedy. He's there as a straight man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Whereas a lot of people are there to be gay. He had to be <laughs> yeah, mo- most of the cast is gay, famously, <laughs> yes. or at least playing gay ca- characters. Yes, they're play- they they had to play a gay, and he was playing it straight. Jennifer Lawrence, uh, who breaks up with yesterday because she's gay. No, no, he breaks up with her, right? Yesterday breaks up with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and mad respect to Himesh Patel. Yeah, double mention on the podcast yesterday- this week. After yesterday, I had thought he was rubbish, and I thought this is a, this guy's clearly a former EastEnders actor. Yeah. But now, after Station Eleven and Tenet and this, I'm going to say this guy's the greatest thing ever. You know, yesterday I gets a, gets a lot of love. Yeah, people like that. It's just I'm saying me, I don't like it. Oh no, I thought it was total pants. I couldn't believe anybody liked it at all. But anyway, I don't remember him. I mean, he plays the guitar and sings, right? Yeah. I have no recollection of him playing the guitar singing i know that was a large part of the film <laughs> he must actually play the guitar and sing i just i've all i remember the scene that sticks out is the one where the two people come to him backstage and go i remember yeah 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 remember the beatles they were good thanks thanks enough they were skysers oglethorpe urges dibiaski and mindy to leak the news to the media which they do on a morning talk show when hosts jack bremer and brian evan T. Uh, sorry, <laughs> when host Jack Bremer and Brie Evan T treat the topic frivolously, Dibiaski, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> okay, I read Brie is Brian. <laughs> <laughs> when host Jack Bremer and Brie Evan T treat Fuck, it's become a thing. This is so stupid. When, when host, host Jack Bremer, <laughs> when host Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. When host Jack Bremer and Brighton. <laughs> when the hosts. Ah, Kate Blanchett and Tyler ja- Perry. Yeah. When host Jack Bremer and Brian Evan T. Brian, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> no. When host Jack Bremer and Brie Evan T. treat the topic frivolously, Dibiaski loses her composure and rants about the threat, prompting widespread online mockery. I thought um, Tyler Perry is solid, and you rewatched Gone Girl this week. He's so great. You, you're you're full Tyler Perry now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great in that. He's a great actor. I've never seen all of the stuff he's more famous for in America. I've never seen one of them. When you say all of the stuff, do you mean any of the stuff? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen yes, any of those either. I thought I thought you Fucking were like English I've only I'm not seen, an English teacher anymore. I've only, Fuck you. <laughs> no, but I was more worried that you were saying like I've only seen ninety percent of the. All oh, right. Okay. Okay. Fair Medea enough. films. How many Medea fil- films are there? A lot. Yeah, I've not seen one. To be fair, I don't think we're the target audience. I think we should maybe watch one at some stage. Just yes. To see what the what the score is. Soon after that, yesterday comes back into the story. And uh, he actually has one line that made me laugh at it a lot when um, uh, Ariana Grande gets back together with her boyfriend on the air and they're trying to come up with a name for the article. And he goes, G- 10 famous second chances for two timers, guys. Right. It's sitting right in front of you. And I thought that's, uh, that's quite good clickbait writing. I enjoyed that. Tibiaski's boyfriend publicly denounces her while Mindy receives public approval for his looks. The actual news about the comet's threat receives little public attention and is denied by Orlean's director of NASA, a top donor to Orlean with no background in astronomy. What's her background again? Oh, she's a... I can't remember. She's a, she's a, she's a doctor anyway, a medical doctor. Mm. Oh yeah, that's right. When Orlean is involved in a sex scandal with her Supreme Court nominee, she diverts attention and improves her approval ratings by confirming the threat of the comet 
announcing a project to strike and divert the comet using nuclear weapons. I've got nothing to add to that. No, but did you hear that there's a mission, a space mission planned for the next couple of years? I just remembered this now, that their plan is to send up a shuttle, hit it off a comet, like, or let the comet run into it, and they've designed it to completely collect the data of what exactly they would need to deflect the comet. So at the moment, the human society that Adam McKay is actively satirizing with this film is actually preemptively preparing for his metaphor thing. The mission successfully launches, but Arlene abruptly aborts it when Peter Isherwell, the billionaire CEO of tech company Bash, and another top donor discovers that the comet contains trillions of dollars worth of rare earth elements. The White House agrees to commercially exploit the comet by fragmenting and recovering it from the ocean using new technology proposed by Bash's Nobel laureates. In a scheme that has not undergone scholarly peer review, it needs to be peer reviewed. Yes, it does. Has this been peer reviewed? Can't trust it. No, exactly. You need, you you need, need peer, peer review. You need a peer review, yes. I've always said you that. Always peer, you always peer review. That's right. You always, you always peer review. I look for it the peer, re- peer review whenever I'm buying shampoo, shower gel, forks. I uh, look at the peer review when I'm checking out Peeping Tom websites. Nice. Because it's pe- peering through a window. Ah, very good, very good. That's it's a peer review. It's like the, how, my, how the peering goes. I, did they peer well? I peer reviewed whether or not I should smoke marijuana when I was 15, and it turned out all my peers were doing it, so I did it too. Yeah, that's, I, guess, I think that's peer pressure. I like a peer review of, uh, of the Brighton seafront. It's also good. All right, let's stop this. Yes. The White House sidelines. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> the White House sidelines Dibiaski and Oglethorpe while hiring Mindy as a national science advisor to co opt him. Dibiaski tries to mobilize public opposition to the scheme, but gives up under threat from Orleans' administration. Mindy becomes a prominent voice advocating for the Comet's commercial opportunities and begins an affair with Eventy. I thought that was kind of shocking in a way that Leonardo DiCaprio's character decided to shag Kate Blanchett. Oh no, I saw that coming. Also, I get, I mean, it is the kind of, this maybe is an effective satire here. You can see how someone who starts out as sort of anxious, not the face that you would want explaining the science, gets won over and, and starts to become part of the system and mm. takes, the, takes the dollar and starts spouting their shite while also, you know, shagging the lady that became available to him. And I'm sorry to his wife, but Kate Blanchett was quite an upgrade. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Uh, who, the lady who plays his wife, she's in Yellow Jackets, which I started watching. I just watched the first episode of Is it. Is it good? Um, I've, I've got it ready to go. I, li- I enjoyed the first episode. It's not completely captured my attention, but it's solid. It's another thing that goes between two time periods. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I like it so far. But, and she's very good in it. She's one of the main uh, cast members. Her name's Melanie Linsky. So shout out to her. Also in Two and a Half Men. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, you don't want to share a coffee cup with She's one of the greats. Her. Yes, one of the greatest. She does, she does good. Uh, she always takes good projects, is what you're saying. Yes. World opinion is divided among those who demand destruction of the comet, those who decry alarmism and believe that mining the comet will create jobs, and those who deny that the comet even exists. 
what 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 is this? What is all this a reference to? What is he? What are they getting at? What are they getting at here? So, Dibiaski returns home to Illinois and begins a fatalistic relationship with Yule, a shoplifter she meets at her retail job. After Mindy's wife confronts him about his infidelity, she returns to Michigan without him. Mindy, becoming angry and frustrated with the administration, rants on live television, criticizing Arlene for downplaying the impending apocalypse and questioning humanity's indifference. That whole Mindy, Leonardo DiCaprio shouting at the audience felt like it was going for some kind of network. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No but question. But it just feels, it just, this feels like, again, directly shouting at the audience, going like, you idiots. Yeah. It didn't I can't work for tell me. you, I mean, it's like, fair enough, I'm an idiot, and maybe I gave the film too much credit, but can you see how me looking at this another way would have made it seem better? Because all of this, I'm liking just so much less now, but I quite liked it before when I thought that it was basically just satirizing institutions, but I mean, once you put in the piece that, yeah, and of course it was, I'm sorry, I'm stupid, but like, once you put in the piece that, yeah, the 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 comet is climate change... It is just, yeah, shouting directly at the audience. That's what it is. Maybe if they hadn't come up, if they hadn't come out and said that. I mean, there are elements of this that could be COVID and and other things as well. But if Adam McKay hadn't directly come out and said, yes, it is climate change, This we wanted to make a film about climate change, then it would work better. I think if you can divorce the whole thing from Adam McKay, Mm. it's a better film. But I can't. I can't ignore Adam McKay. Neither can I now. <clears throat> I can't ignore Andy Ritchie. Sorry. Cut off from the administration, Mindy reconciles with Dibiaski as the comet becomes visible from Earth. Mindy, Dibiaski, and Oglethorpe organize a protest campaign on social media against Orlean and Bash, telling people to just look up yeah. and call on other countries to conduct comet interception operations of their own. China, India, and Russia have been cut out of the comet mining deal, so they prepare a joint effort to deflect the comet, but an, ex- an explosion destroys their spacecraft, leaving Mindy distraught. Bash's attempt at breaking the comet apart also goes awry, and everyone realizes that humanity is doomed. I did like the last 30 minutes more than anything else. Mm. When sh- shit starts... As soon as the comet becomes visible in the street and people realize that, I didn't care for all the just look up and don't look up type stuff of the two sides politically... I didn't care for that satire very much, but I, everything towards shit going wrong, which I, I always knew that, I don't know why, if I'd already read a spoiler, hmm. that if the asteroid was definitely going to hit, or if that's just because it was, you know, yeah, a no. metaphor for climate change. I feel it was always going to. You know, if you're being insincere in a disaster movie, the disaster's going to happen. It's just mathematics. But when everything goes wrong with uh, Bash's attempt... It is quite funny where Mark Rylance and Meryl Streep <laughs> make a sharp exit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just need to go to the bathroom. Isherwell, Arlene, and others in their elite circle board a sleeper spaceship designed to find an Earth-like planet, inadvertently leaving Jason behind. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny Hilst. also, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's coming back. She's coming back. Arlene offers Mindy two places on the ship, but he declines, choosing to spend a final evening with his family, Dibiaski, Oglethorpe, and Yule, as expected, the comet hits Earth, causing a worldwide disaster and triggering an extension, an extinction-level event. Apparently, this uh, the way that is depicted in the film is isn't realistic. Isn't 
isn't realistic. It wouldn't actually kill that many people sh- straight away. Oh? It would take a longer period of months or years for people to die out from a lack of food and sunlight and things. There'd be a lack of sunlight. Why? Because I... Bel- I don't, listen, I'm, what am I? I'm not, who am I? Adam McKay? I'm not that intelligent. I don't know what causes it, but okay. uh, I, I believe that whatever goes up in the atmosphere is blocking out the sun. What do I know, hey? Yeah. But as far as I'm aware, Nothing. the tidal wave and the impact wouldn't kill all life on the planet. Okay, so... It would take a period of time. And obviously Jonah Hill would survive, like he does in the film. So you're telling me there's a chance? There is a chance. It's actually fine, and you shouldn't worry about it, and don't look up. Yes. That's all right. It- uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, what was interesting to me was, like, the Yule character is religious, and at the end, they kind of, even though some of the characters are atheists, they mm. sort of get on board with it. Yeah. That feels like the most American thing to me ever, where you can have characters openly saying like you need to believe in facts and science because you don't follow facts because you don't believe in science this is why we're in this situation this is why we're we're going to be fucked because you don't believe in science however they they can't come out and say like well religion is a pile of shite yeah they can't do that they can't put that in a film whereas i feel like in other countries that would be okay like in the uk we wouldn't have any problem doing no yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's almost like the religious aspect of his character is, you know, there is an insurance policy, kind of, you know? Well, as in, like, you couldn't have the film be directly atheist in the same way that, regardless of what a huge amount of people in America think, you could you still, these days, could not have an atheist president. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's such a funny part of American society. Yeah, And this culture of, of someone of someone making a film that is just saying, like, the problem is people who are not logical. The problem is people who are not willing to entertain facts. Mm. But then having, like, ah, yeah, you know, religion's all right, after all. It's not too bad. It's fine. We should have that. But it's just all of this. (laughs) I mean, we've talked about this endless, like, you know, outside of podcasts, so there's no need to slug it up here, but it's just, you know... It's that same old shite. People who don't believe in facts, specifically the facts that we are quoting, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm, as you know, I'm a Muslim, a practicing Muslim. I'm still practicing. Practicing? Yeah, you you haven't mastered it yet. I'm practicing. No, I'm just practicing. I'm in the very early stages of practicing. I haven't opened the Quran yet. You got your pilot's license? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, what what are you (laughs) suggesting? That they like flying? That's racist. Yes. They're They're not all into flying. Well, they're not all of a different race either, Andy. Ah, well, that's that's wordist. You just took a word that I said, and and you you tried to misappropriate it. Yeah, well, and and, and ob, obfusc, the meaning. So that's wordist. It was a perfectly cromulent word, wasn't it? It embiggens the noblest spirit. Yes, indeed. If we run out of things to say about this film, we'll never no, watch again. No, there's there, uh, there's still I've got three short little paragraphs Okey-doke. here. Technically, I think two of them are just sentences masquerading as paragraphs. Doctor Mindy's final line of the thing of it is, we really, really did have everything, didn't we? I mean, if you think about it, was improvised by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, this is this is a good line. That it was is a, a nice line. moment, yeah, I, yeah. and and I do agree with it. I genuinely do think like. When people think about the level 
uh, of life that we have attained to ease and comfort. And, you know, people can, it's like, I was thinking about that watching the rescue, the fact that hundreds of people could fly across the world to go and rescue a group of boys trapped in a, trapped in a cave Yeah, is insane to think that they were just like, ah, we'll just get some uh, diver boys from the UK over. I can't wait to watch that movie instead of this one. <laughs> the post-credit scenes, we've got the 2,000 people who left Earth scenes. before the impact land on a... There are two. Oh, I the only lost, watched one. Uh, me too. Apparently there's another one. The 2,000 people who left Earth before the impact land on a lush alien planet 22,740 years later, ending their cryogenic sleep. They exit their spacecraft naked and mostly empty-handed, admiring the habitable world. Habitable? Orlean is quickly killed and eaten by an alien creature as others of its kinds surround the humans. I wasn't uh, a huge fan of that, See? that callback joke. It's fine. I liked it. I guess that's a, a Bronter rock. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I think that's called a Bronter rock. I thought it was okay. I was, you know, you, you, you get what's happening pretty early on, but... I do. I like the concept of of that payoff, though, of them ending up on an alien planet. Yes. Then apparently, I never saw this, but a post credit scene shows Jason emerging from the rubble, having survived the comet, calling his mother and trying to post on social media using his phone. Nice. I would like I didn't to catch see that part. I, I would like to that. see the society that uh, he starts. How quickly before wanking would get old? Well, I don't partake myself, so. None of that shite for me. Wouldn't catch me doing any of that shite. No way would I punish my body with that shite. <laughs> no way. All right, well, fuck this shit. <laughs> Very much the memories of murder of uh, satires. <laughs> I, I, I like, okay, I didn't hate memories of murder. I just want to clarify that. I just didn't connect with it. Can you think of a film that you can appreciate on a technical level, but you just can't connect with it for some reason? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Denis Villeneuve's film, Arrival. That is a film that I like the concept of it much more than the reality of watching it. And every time I go to rewatch it, I just feel like, ah, I don't want to. I tried rewatching it and I was just so cold. fucking bored to tears. Well, that's it. We've reached the end of talking about Don't Look Up. I don't know if you have any ideas of what we could talk about the next time we do one of these in two weeks' time. The next time will be two weeks' time. I have no idea, quite frankly. Have you? I guess Licorice Pizza is either. Well, oh, uh, Licorice Pizza would be good one. After watching Station Eleven, I've been thinking about watching the new Joel Cohen Shakespeare film. Ah, Macbeth. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Yeah. Uh, because I'm also going to watch um, just, Justin Curzel's uh, Macbeth. I don't want to overpromise here, but I'm considering watching all of Justin Kurzel's films. As am I, except including I'm, Assassin. I'm including Assassin's Creed. Me too, and I, but there's no way in in hell I'm rewatching uh, Snowtown. That's not happening. Yeah, I haven't seen Snowtown. I haven't seen any of his films, so I've got all five ready to go. Yurt. All right. Well, um, how do we end uh, a podcast where we don't toss? Oh, yeah. Let me just say, I've already told Donica, but I didn't in the last episode, just in case any dedicated listener was like, but what was the, what were you going to pair with Bob mm. Flambeau? And maybe you were, you wanted to know and you desperately, you know, you were like, ah, I need closure. It was going to be Jean-Pierre Melville's uh, 1969 film, Army of Shadows. One about Army of uh, Hammer. La Resistance. Army Hammer. Yeah. Which, uh, part of which was filmed in uh, Lyon. Uh, Lyon. Lyon. And, 
I went to university there in the building next to the resistance headquarters. So I used to walk through the French resistance headquarters where they filmed, where the, no, wait, sorry. It wasn't the French, now it's a French resistance museum. It was the, maybe the Gestapo headquarters or something at the time. I don't know. They used to execute people there. Oh, nice. Did you fart? Yes. Mission accomplished. Mm. I'm definitely, uh, well, no, I'm off to, uh, I got to do so much stuff. (laughs) I have so much stuff to do. This was a brief respite from my life, which I enjoyed. I love you. I love you too. All right. Bye. Bye.